bringing you the best stories, best trends, and best game from the best conference. Fourth and Manageable, an SEC football podcast brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to Fourth and Manageable. I'm Brad Edwards, joined by Tyler Bray, and uh, this is the end of week three of action in SEC football, and we're going to break down for you what we watched today. Tyler, let's start with the non-conference games. Uh, the big one was Miami taking on Texas A&M. Obviously, A&M needing to bounce back from the unexpected loss to App State the week before. And uh, mostly they did that. They, the important thing they accomplished, which was they got a win. Yeah, it wasn't the uh, prettiest win, uh, but with you know guys suspended, two guys getting ejected for targeting, which I still... Still don't get the whole targeting rule, but uh, yeah, defense, you know, banged up or not banged up, but missing some key players kind of held strong in the red zone and kept, you know, Miami from scoring. And that was basically the key to them winning. Yeah, it was actually remarkable uh, given how thin that secondary was for most of the game that they didn't even allow a touchdown. I know Miami was without its top receiver for the whole game, which balanced out some of that, but Truth of the matter is, uh, outside of just a few plays not getting off the field uh, in third and fourth down situations in week two against App State, the AM defense has been solid this season, as we expected it to be coming into the year. So uh, nothing to be worried about on that side of the ball if you're AM. Offensively, uh, we saw a change at quarterback um, that, you know, you, you saw Johnson in there uh, instead of King tonight, and Johnson went the whole way. What did you make of him? Did you see anything different from AM's offense with the change of QB? Uh, no. I uh, thought there might be a little more excitement to that QB change, but it's kind of the you know same thing, not you know doing anything to win games. I mean, I don't think he turned the ball over, but he was... Yeah, like didn't 50. make any big mistakes, which was important, especially in a close game like this. Yeah, I think he was 50, 50%, but I mean completion percentage. So it wasn't anything exciting. They ran the ball decently. Uh, so that kind of helped out controlling the clock a little bit, but I mean, defense was the one that stepped up. I mean, Miami had 400, I think 400 yards of offense and only nine points. So that's not a equation to winning ball games. Yeah. I, I guess if you look at the final stats, Miami outgained A&M pretty significantly. The, the difference was special teams. And I know this has kind of been a theme for the early part of the season, the number of teams that have lost games on special teams. We saw LSU do it week one against Florida State. Um, A&M won tonight uh, in large part due to Miami's mistakes on special teams where Miami missed a long field goal. They had a field goal blocked. They muffed a punt return inside their own red zone, which led to a very short drive that AM had for one of its touchdowns. Uh, and so that was a big part of the game. And then at the very end, AM almost gave it back by muffing a punt return inside its own 10-yard line. Uh, but Anaya Smith was able to jump on that and, uh, and, and kind of save the day by retaining possession, and that ended up being enough. But uh, – yeah, special teams have been a really big deal in a lot of close games so far in college football. Yeah, it's it's weird because, you know, they take the least amount of snaps on the field and it's, you know, choosing the outcome of the game. I mean, you see it in college, you see it in the pros. I mean, missed kicks, blocked kicks, just catching a punt, which should I don't want to say it's routine, but, I mean, you do it every day in practice. You guys, 
you know, catching a punt with four other footballs in their hands. It's like, there's only one out there. What's, you know, what's the big deal? Yeah. So looking at A&M moving forward, um, they're, they're two and one now as they enter conference play uh, Arkansas on the slate next week, they were expecting to be three and oh, I mean, this is a nice win, especially uh, on the heels of what happened last week, but this is a team that expected to be one game better in the win column than they are at, at this stage. And the offense is looking sluggish. If, if you're AM, what do you try at this point? You've already changed quarterbacks. What can they do to try to get better? Because what we've seen through the first three weeks looks like a team that's going to go four and four in the SEC. Yeah, you got to uh, expand the run game. I think uh, so. They need to get A chain the ball more because uh, they need to turn him into the A train. Because if they don't, the QBs are not going to win them a lot of ball games. Yeah, I, I think that's safe to say based on on what we've seen. They they need the running game and strong defense in order to to have success and win a lot of games this season. So, uh, I mean, if you're AM, everything's still out there in front of you. You haven't lost a conference game yet, but uh, you, you can't be incredibly optimistic, uh, except for the fact that there aren't a whole lot of teams in the SEC West that are looking great right now. Um, one of the teams that has looked the best so far through three weeks that – you can certainly question the level of competition is Ole Miss and Ole Miss had its first power five test today going against Georgia tech, which is probably one of the weaker teams in the power five from what we've seen, but a dominant performance on both sides of the ball by the rebels. I mean, look, it, a shutout against anyone in college football these days is a great job by the defense and, and especially to do it against a team from the ACC. Um, we always think of, of Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin as a team that you would expect to score points, um, but to play defense the way they did, I think it's got to be really encouraging. Yeah, they're flying around. I uh, don't know necessarily if it was, you know, good defense or just bad offense because, I mean, Georgia Tech's recently made the switch to spread offense from the kind of crazy wing tee they used to run. And so, you know, there's going to be some uh, – challenging years for them getting used or getting recruits in that, you know, fit that mold. But, you know, you get a play like that on defense against a big time school, then, you know, they're a real team to look out for. Yeah. I think the most significant thing that we saw in this game from Ole Miss was that Lane Kiffin appears to have decided who his starting quarterback is after rotating for the first two games, Jackson Dart uh, started and, and played in this game until it was out of reach. So it, it appears that he is the Ole Miss quarterback moving forward. What are your thoughts on that choice by Kiffin? I think it's the right choice. Uh, I He fits what Lane Kiffin wants to do. He can make all the throws, all the deep crosses that, you know, Lane likes to run and follow that with daggers behind it. So he has the arm to make all those throws and can make uh, – plays and extend it with his legs. Yeah. And, and look, he is, like you said, he, he has that ability to do things with his legs, maybe not to the same level that we saw Matt Corral uh, be a part of the running game for Ole Miss last year, but I'm not sure that's necessary the way that we've seen them run the ball the first three weeks. Now, can they keep this up against better competition? I don't know, but right now uh, th those top two backs, Evans and, and the freshman Judkins, they look really good, and that Ole Miss offensive line um, looks like that it has improved a great deal. Yeah, if they can run like that every week, they they got a shot to you know take Alabama. Uh, the Zach, I mean, they went right down and scored on their first drive. I mean, I think it was five plays, four runs, one pass. 
and a touchdown. So you're like, normally, you know, Lane Kiffin likes to spread out and throw the ball and he, you know, use the ground and pound. Yeah, I, I kind of came into this season thinking with the loss of Corral and all the transfers that were coming in, that this would be a little bit of a, of a step back for Ole Miss. But look, I, I, and, and maybe it is a stretch to think that they would go back to a New Year's Six game uh, like they were in a year ago. But uh, at this point in the season, I'm not sure my opinion of Ole Miss has changed a whole lot from what it was late last season. I, I think they're uh, they're probably one of the better teams in the SEC. Nowhere close to, to Georgia, of course, and maybe – not close to Alabama. We'll get to see that one on the field, but uh, so far so good for the Rebels. And they have Tulsa next week, so they they should be undefeated going into October uh, when they open conference play against Kentucky, and that should be a fun game, but we'll talk about that one down the line. Uh, the other uh, so-called big non-conference game for the SEC today was Auburn hosting Penn State, the first Big Ten team ever to visit Jordan-Hare Stadium. Didn't go so well for the Auburn Tigers. Uh, we, we weren't really sure what to think of either team coming into this game. And, and I'm not really so sure what to think coming out of it, except that Penn State's a lot better than Auburn. That's the one thing I'm sure of. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Especially today. Uh, they have some challenges on defense. I mean, the defense played, you know, good for the first half. And then second half, it was just like the floodgates opened. And the QB position, they – First string and second string guys struggled throwing the ball. I mean, there there's times they make splash plays and, you know, it looks like, you know, they could change the game and turn it around. And then they turn around and just, you know, make bonehead mistake or, you know, throw an interception. And for Brian Harson at this stage, he has to go with whoever he thinks is going to give him the best chance to win the highest number of games this season. You can't be thinking about next year if you're in his situation because we knew before the season ever began that he was on the hot seat. Uh, and and his, his athletic director just recently was forced out. He technically uh, resigned. But, look, he, he's dead man walking. It really feels like. And, you know, anyone listening to this podcast, you're probably listening to it on Sunday. And, and the way Auburn operates wouldn't even surprise me if by the time you hear it, he's been fired. But um, to the best of our knowledge, he will at least still be the Auburn coach uh, next week. So if you're if you're Brian Harson, what buttons do you have to push here, Tyler? I mean, it, it looks like your team is just lacking talent in too many areas. Yeah, all three phases right now are struggling. Uh, it's not a good situation to be in with the coach being on a hot seat. Uh, but you're you're playing with nothing to lose at this point. You got to expect that you know you're gonna get fired at the end of the season, if not when you walked onto the bus tonight. And so it's going to be one of those, you know, things where you need to, you know, bring out some trick plays or, you know, go for it on fourth down more, you know, some onside kicks. You basically got to pull some uh, rabbits out of a hat here. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do to try to win the very next game and, and live to coach again the next week. And that's just kind of where you are with Auburn. I kind of felt like if they won today, you looked at their schedule and you're like, okay, you know, I, I could see this team having a chance to become bowl eligible, but after what we saw today, they might be lucky to go two and six in the SEC. And uh, at least in, in my opinion, they're clearly the weakest team in the SEC West. So it, it looks like a, a long season for the Auburn Tigers. Now, there, there are a couple of other teams 
uh, in the SEC that uh, were fortunate not to lose, but I can't really say that they looked a whole lot better than Auburn did uh, because they were playing much lesser competition. One of them, the Florida Gators, who we saw in week one, um, very impressive and an upset of a top 10 Utah team. Last week didn't look so good in losing on their home field against Kentucky and understandably not as intense today, probably you know, weren't as motivated to take on a South Florida team, which we have seen get dominated in the last couple of years by power five opposition and South Florida gave Florida all they could handle today. Um, had a field goal attempt late that would have tied the game that they ended up botching and Florida hangs on for a three point win. The other one was Arkansas, which was facing its former head coach, Bobby Petrino, who is now at Missouri state, a top 10 program in the FCS Missouri State jumped up 17-0 on Arkansas. Arkansas came back to tie it at 17. Then uh, Missouri State retook the lead. And uh, Arkansas was actually down 10 points in the fourth quarter before they just really poured it on late, finally asserted themselves, ended up with a deceiving 11-point victory. It wasn't as comfortable as, as the final score made it look. But uh, all, all I want to ask you about those two teams, Tyler, is, is this whole concept of coming out flat and given what you may have have done the previous couple of weeks and who you have coming up the, the next week on the schedule, just not taking an opponent as seriously as you should, or as your coaches would like you to, what causes that? I mean, there's no doubt it's a real thing. We, we see it all the time. What causes that to happen? It's kind of human nature. I mean, you face a lesser opponent, you try to not conserve energy for next week, but you got to think, you know, for the future, you're looking at this game as, Hey, let's, you know, get a win. Let's get out of it healthy and, uh, you know, prepare for next week. And I mean, teams have not been playing good when they're doing that. And it shows, I mean, Arkansas is, you know, a team that can compete. I don't think they have a chance to win it all, but it's one of those teams that, you know, could push at the end of the season and, you know, 17 to zero early is not the way to do it. Then you're playing catch up the whole time, and then you're actually having to strain harder than you know if you just came out and blew them out early and got your guys rest. But it's just it's human nature for these teams to do for these guys to do it, and you know it's probably not going to change. Yeah, and that that's probably the biggest thing for those coaches. They look at this as this was an opportunity to possibly give some starters a little bit of rest before for Arkansas you have A and M next week, for Florida you have Tennessee next week. But everybody had to go the full four quarters, um, so no rest. But but they'll move on, and we'll talk about those games that are coming up in week four a little bit later in this podcast. Now I want to shift to the SEC, the the conference games that were played this week, and uh, the the biggest one was what felt like a toss up game in the SEC West. Mississippi State at LSU. Mississippi State 2-0. LSU, of course, had the loss to Florida State in week one. Not really sure what to make of either team coming into this one. And um, I'm, I'm not really sure that I love either team after watching this game. But LSU got a big win on its home field. Um, something that before the season, I think everyone would have expected them to do. But after the FSU loss, people weren't so sure. But a good bounce back for LSU uh, in a game that they really trailed for most of the first three quarters. Yeah, LSU, uh, you know, it's not the same defense we're used to seeing out there. It's, they don't have, you know, those first-round draft picks. And it, 
it shows. I mean, they don't have the offense either that's going to, you know, protect a defense by putting up huge numbers. I mean, they did at the end, but, you know, they need a QB that can get the playmakers the ball. They have studs on offense that if you get the ball into their hands can make, you know, extended plays, the yak yards that you need to extend drives and, you know, put up big points and the guy just can't get it to him. I don't know if he sees the field well. There's times where, you know, guys are open for college, college level open and he's, you know, passing it by and trying to run. It's almost like he's a run first pass second type QB and it's, it's hurting him right now. Yeah. So to your point, you know, if you're an LSU fan, you're, you're thrilled that you won the game. You know, you're, you're one and oh in conference play and, and, and that's exactly where you want to be. You know, you know, year one with a new coach, new quarterback, all that stuff, there are going to be some growing pains and you're going to get better. But at the same time, you know, we've now seen LSU play two games against power five competition. And to me, I, and tell me if you see the same thing, the most effective thing and really the only consistently effective thing that I see in LSU's offense is the quarterback scramble. It, it's totally off script. What, what do you see, if anything, LSU does offensively that they can depend on? It's, it's that. I mean, he, he doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. And so he gets out of the pocket and becomes a better passer. And I think it's because he's attacking the line of scrimmage and teams are afraid that he's going to run because, I mean, he's rushing for 90, 80, 100 yards a game. And so they're afraid of his legs. And so when he gets out of the pocket, you know, it gets the defenders to come up and try to make a play. And then he finds a guy, you know, leaking behind. And if they teams just make him stay in the pocket and try to beat him, it's going to be a, a long season for LSU. So how about the Mississippi State side of it? Uh, this is a, a team that had, had looked pretty good the first two games, although we're not sure how, how good the competition was. This is year three under Mike Leach. And look, I, I feel like coming out of tonight's game, their defense is pretty solid. I, I think it's been consistently solid for the first three weeks. The question that I had coming into the season was going to be on offense, which is, like I said, third year with Leach's system. He has a quarterback who has been in this system now for the third year. He's had the opportunity to both recruit and you know bring in transfers who fit what he's looking for on the offensive line and at receiver, they didn't even gain 300 yards against LSU. Um, obviously, there's going to be tougher competition in the SEC as the season goes on. Where are you with Mississippi State right now, especially on the offensive side? I just think Mike Leach's offense is more suited for like a Pac-12 conference. It's not, it's a dink and dunk. You watch the Pac-12 and it's, you know, not a lot of defense going on there. And so you're able to throw those bubbles and turn a bubble into, you know, ADR touchdown or a little tunnel screen for 60. And in the SEC, that's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> you, you have to, you know, get a run game established. you got to be able to take those shots downfield. Uh, they just dink and dunk and, you know, there's no yards after catch. It's basically a catch and tackle. And they're not, ex you know, they're not extending drives. And it's, it's going to be tough if they can't find a more explosive way to attack defenses. How much of that is just because of, of the level of athlete in the SEC on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, like, I, I think I'm stating the obvious when I say that most teams in the Big 12 and the Pac-12, where Leach had previously been a head coach, um, outside of when he was at Texas Tech, Oklahoma and Texas both had really good players. 
Uh, for part of the time he was at Washington State, USC did. But most of the time, you're playing teams that don't really have any better athletes on defense than you have on offense. If you're at Mississippi State, you're going to play a lot of teams that have better athletes on defense than you have on offense. And and it just seems to me that's really the heart of the issue, right, is that you can't out-athlete a whole lot of teams on your schedule when you're at Mississippi State. Yeah, it's (laughs) – for that offense, you got to have, you know, smaller, speedy guys. I mean, it's not your big time receivers on the outside, you know, throwing go balls and letting guys go up and making plays. It's, you know, tunnel screen here, bubble, you know, a little shallow route over the middle. And the SEC linebackers are fast. D linemen are fast. They're, I mean, you're not going to find guy, big slugs on the field like you would in other conferences. And so they got to, they got to find, a balance between the dink and dunk and taking shots downfield and trying to get a power running game going. And it looks like he has made through three games this year, a more concerted effort to run the ball. Um, we, we saw him go for it on fourth and short a number of times tonight. Um, and it was, it was, I think if it wasn't always a run, it was almost always a run. And, and that's not something you typically see from him. Um, but he seems to believe in his running game a little bit more than than Mike Mike Leach teams typically have, but still wasn't enough against uh, against LSU in short yardage. And and like you said, it, at some point you're going to have to be able to do that in order to win in this league. And even though he's maybe trying to do it a little bit more, uh, so far hasn't had a lot of success. So the other conference game today was one that, unlike Mississippi State LSU, we weren't expecting to be competitive. And we were right. It wasn't competitive. And that was Georgia at South Carolina. You know, Tyler, the the Georgia games from last year and now into this year all look so similar, no matter who they play, that that I thought I would just put together a template uh, for us to be able to discuss Georgia from now on. So I'm just going to pull out the uh, the script. So for those who didn't see the game, um, I'm just going to to read this script and, uh, and, and Tyler is going to join in here and uh, we're going to tell you what happened uh, in this game in case you missed it. Another day at the office for the Georgia Bulldogs as they took on South Carolina, the UGA, the UGA offense was focused and efficient scoring a touchdown on each of its first three drives. Stetson Bennett threw most of his passes within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and completed them to Five or six different receivers. No, it was more than that, man. Come on. Well, it, was gotta, like, it was like eight or nine different well, you, receivers. <laughs> you got to think that's the backup a little look, bit. Look, look a little at the box. has got to be the Come backup. On. Including blank to Brock Bowers. Oh, he had five for 100. Five, and, yep. And, and blank to Lad McConkey. Yeah, for four. For four. Bowers scored blank touchdowns in the game. Uh, three. And once again, the Georgia starting defense didn't allow a touchdown. So there you go. And I mean, that's pretty much every Georgia game. And so we, we'll just every week, we'll go to the script. I'll allow you to fill in those blanks. You'll have to you'll have to look closely at the box score next time to see how many different receivers he completed to. So you'll be prepared for that one. Sorry to catch you off guard. But but that, I mean, that's it. And this is what Georgia football is. Tyler, they have become Alabama. And in fact, I would say this year and, and really last year too, um, are more 
Nick Saban, Alabama than what Alabama has been these two seasons. This is what Alabama was when Nick Saban built the program and when Kirby was the defensive coordinator there where they were relentless. And it didn't matter who the opponent was. It didn't matter what the score was. They had a plan. And wherever you were on the depth chart, you went out there and you executed it. And they just dominated from start to finish. And that that's that's really, except for last year's SEC championship game, that's what Georgia has been the last two seasons. And, it, and it's quite scary. Yeah, you, I mean, you look at them uh, getting out early and putting teams away quick and then getting their guys rest. You look at other schools in the SEC, they're struggling right now doing that. They're playing these mediocre teams and letting them hang and having to, you know, strain more than, you know, what Georgia does. I mean, they get out to early lead. They put the guys away early and then let their backups come in. And to be honest, I think if they put in their second string guys against some of these SEC schools, I think they beat them. I think they'd beat them handily. You know, I mean, because, I mean, look, let's just think about like Georgia on offense. I mean, you you think about who they're, I mean, when we say second team, let, let's just not just go the second team quarterback, but we're actually going like the third and fourth running backs. Let's say we go to the third tight end. Um, the second string offensive lineman. I, I'm not sure if anybody in the conference other than Alabama and maybe Tennessee and Ole Miss right now have a better offense than what Georgia's second string offense would be. And yeah. and, and that's scary <laughs> because Georgia's just as good on defense <laughs> as they are on offense, despite losing all those guys from last year. So I mean, hats off to Kirby. I mean, they, they, I mean, it took the final minute of game three total garbage time situation with like fourth stringers in the game for them to finally give up a touchdown. Um, but, but just on both sides of the ball, it is just hard to see a weakness and where look, I, I just don't see how any team other than Alabama or Ohio state would have a chance to, to exploit Georgia in some way. Yeah, I don't see it. I think uh, back to their second stringers, I think they might be, you know, the number four team in the playoffs. That's, yeah. how, that's how good their backups are. I mean, they're, they have depth at every position and it's scary. Yeah. And to, to your point, we've said that in past years about Alabama, that their second team would be a top five team in the nation. And I don't think that's true about Alabama anymore, but I think it's now true about Georgia. And that doesn't mean that Alabama can't beat Georgia on a given day. But to me, there is no question through three weeks of the season that Georgia is better than Alabama and Georgia is better than everybody else in college football and is unquestionably number one. I don't know if the coaches are going to change their number one. Alabama won 63 to seven. So if you thought Alabama was number one coming into the week, you probably will keep them at number one. But it kind of blows my mind how the coaches didn't see what the AP voters saw and most other people have seen which is at this stage of the season, Georgia's the best team in the country. And that's that's pretty much the end of the conversation. So I, I, what I want to get into with you next uh, is, is what are our thoughts so far on the SEC through three weeks and kind of how do you see the biggest games of next week shaping up? So Tyler, let's start with the SEC East. All right. You've seen, I think at this point, everybody play three times. We just established Georgia's the best team, no question. First thing that I think we should go to is who, if anyone, in the SEC East 
has a chance to challenge Georgia? I think right now Tennessee is the only team I see giving them a run for their money. Uh, not just because I went there, but I think they're the only team that can put up enough points to hang with their offense. And I think it would take, you know, Georgia kind of beating themselves as well, making a bunch of mistakes, you know, fumble here, interception, tip interception there. So I don't think, you know, if they both play clean games, Tennessee has a chance. But uh, if they can, you know, make Georgia turn the ball over, get some type of miraculous plays, I think they could, you know, end up beating them. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point, uh, the the game is in Athens this year, so it, it's not like Tennessee would even have a, a crowd advantage. They have to go to Georgia, um, but you mentioned the number of points someone would have to score. I mean, I I, I I I agree with you. Looking at their schedule, the Georgia schedule, Tennessee would be the one team I would think that if if anyone would have a chance to score in the twenties on them, it would be Tennessee, and that's what it's going to take at the bare minimum because Georgia's offense. People didn't want to admit it last year, but I think this year it's pretty evident. They're they're good, very good on offense as well, even though you, you don't see them taking deep shots. They don't do anything all that fancy, but they're just so efficient and effective uh, because Stetson Bennett makes all the right decisions um, that they're going to score. They're going to score on, on anybody. So uh, is, is that generally the way you see it? Is it you're going to you're going to have to score at least in the 20s in order to have a chance? Yeah, 20s, if not 30s. Uh, and it's going to it's gonna take, you know, having them turn the ball over. Uh, maybe a special team's, you know, return for a touchdown uh, could help. But if they both play, you know, mistake-free football, uh, I think Georgia wins by 10 at least. Okay, so do you, do you think Tennessee is the second-best team in the division right now, or do you think they just match up better with Georgia? Not that, any, not that they match up well but that they match up better with Georgia than say Kentucky does just because maybe Tennessee has a little bit higher level of skill on offense. I, I think Tennessee's the the second best team in the East. Uh, I think Kentucky's right there, Florida. I think everyone kind of has a, a game plan for Florida now. So, you know, they're going to, I think they're going to struggle coming up. And I think if, you know, Tennessee can keep, you know, rolling on offense like they are, I think they have a good shot. And so I'm assuming since Kentucky's already won at Florida, that you would put Kentucky ahead of Florida, not to mention Florida struggled again against South Florida. And then, you know, you, you've, you've got three other teams there at the bottom of the league with South Carolina and Missouri and, and Vanderbilt, or I should say the bottom of the division. You, you see those teams as all pretty much the same, or do you see one being a little bit above the others as far as as far as breaking down who who do you think has the best chance to be bowl eligible out of those three? Uh, <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> I mean, they're they're not real exciting football teams to watch. If I'm going to be honest, uh, I mean, South Carolina has the players. It's just and they're very beat up on defense right now. Yeah, already through three through three weeks, they they already have depth issues on that side of the ball. And offensively, it's just it's seems like when they get things, you know, finally going, it's a mistake here, a mistake there. It's just they can't ever put, you know, a complete drive, let alone a game together. How about the West? Um, we know Alabama is the most talented team. But look, this is the second week in a row. And I know the final score was 63 to seven and most people didn't watch a play of it. But if you were paying attention, Alabama for the second week in a row basically didn't show up for the second quarter. 
And it's, it's not that that's unusual within the grand scheme of college football. It's just unusual for Alabama, for a Nick Saban coach team, especially two weeks in a row to just go flat right there at, at, at a point in the first half of a game. So I, I don't think Alabama is, is quite at the level that we're used to it being at. That doesn't, that certainly doesn't mean Alabama isn't capable of winning the national championship, but I, I think they're they're They seem more vulnerable than Georgia, I guess is the way I would say it. Who let's just start with the West. Who do you think in the West would be capable of beating Alabama on a given day based on what we've seen through the first three games? I think that'd have to be Ole Miss. Uh, I think they, they have an offense that can, uh, you know, put Alabama in some, you know, not so good situations, uh, you know, trying to take the deep shot and then running the ball. I know if you can run the ball in Alabama, you have a really good shot at winning the game. And they've been running the ball great. And Kiffin, you know, was at Alabama for a little bit. He, you know, he might know a thing or two about Saban, might have a, you know, inside scoop that, you know, these other coaches might not. And so they're, I think they have the best shot. And so that's a road game. That, that Alabama has left on the schedule. And, and look, Alabama obviously didn't play well on the road against Texas in week two. Most of its road games last season didn't play well. So you would think if they're going to lose, it, it, it's going to be on the road. Um, they're, they're also at LSU, although Alabama has had its way in Baton Rouge over, I mean, really the last 50 years, to be honest, not just in the Saban era. But they're at Tennessee as well. Um, Tennessee strikes me as a team that, that also poses some problems potentially for Alabama and maybe, maybe a little bit more so than Ole Miss, just because I think if I had to attack Alabama's defense, I would rather do it through the air than on the ground. And Tennessee of those two teams seems to be the stronger passing team. And so, um, what, what what do you feel uh, as far as who maybe is a bigger threat to Alabama? Uh, as far as the road opponents between LSU, Ole Miss, and Tennessee? I'm going to have to go with my school again and say Tennessee. Uh, Alabama does And by the play. way, let me let me cut you off because Arkansas is the other road game they have in the conference. And Arkansas is, I mean, coming into this week's ranked top 10. They're still undefeated. So I guess I should be fair and throw them into the conversation. Although, I, I don't know. Arkansas falls in that same category as they are a run-first team. And so, therefore you know, I would kind of look at them the same way, but anyway, I just wanted to, wanted to, I don't, I don't want to just ignore a top 10 team and pretend <laughs> like they don't exist. Yeah. I, I get the Arkansas, but they, I don't know if they can sit back in the pocket and, you know, pick apart Alabama's defense where I think Tennessee has a better shot at doing that. And I think the Neyland stadium is a way tougher environment to play in than going into Arkansas. That's just how it is. And so I think uh, they struggled this year on the road communication wise. And with, you know, those new guys around them, they've already struggled, you know, just in general. And then to put it on the road game in Neyland stadium, it, it, anything can happen. Yeah. All right. So, so I want to just look ahead since, since you're not uh, with us on the podcast on Tuesday and Thursday, this is going to be your only chance to kind of preview these games. Um, let's uh, let's talk about the the two what seem to be the biggest conference games uh, for week four. Uh, let's start with uh, with Texas A and M and Arkansas, which I believe are playing at Jerry World, so it's a neutral site game. Uh, how, how do you see that matchup uh, based on on what you've watched for the first three weeks? 
Uh, I'm going to say Arkansas is going to beat them by at least 14 points. Really? Uh, yep. Uh, I think they're they're going to, you know, keep time of possession. They're going to run the ball. And uh, Jefferson's going to make plays. A couple splash plays throwing it. But I think on with using his legs, he's going to, you know, make the difference. So you think his ability to run will help them – move the ball on AM because AM's defense to me, um, it it's I mean, it's been really solid so far this year. And and that it surprises me that you think that that Arkansas, not that they'll win, but that they would win by double digits given given how difficult it's been for most teams to score on AM so far. Yeah, just for some reason that's going my gut feeling on that one. I gotta stick with it. All right. Okay. So speaking of gut feelings, how about uh Tennessee and Florida? Um, that is the the other big game next week, which used to be like the game in a lot of seasons. And uh, those of us who are a little bit older in our lifetimes, that used to be the pivotal game in the SEC uh, every week, which was which not every week, every year, which which was always played in September. And so it was uh, it was played early. But um, this year it's a it's a big game, um, but it but it's really just to figure out if is either team a threat to Georgia. So. Uh, the game is in Knoxville. What's your what's your assessment as we as we sit here six seven days out? I think it's going to come down to you know if they keep AR in the pocket, if they can keep him in the pocket, not let him get out and uh, do what he did against Utah. I think they you know can at least win by a touchdown touchdown or more. But it, it's going to be close if they uh, it's going to be close if they don't. If they let him get out of the pocket, it could be a long night for Tennessee. All right. So last question, as we sit here, end of week three, and I have a feeling I'm going to keep asking you this question throughout the season, because it really is to me, the big question that not only everybody in the sec is going to keep asking. And the question is, do you think Alabama and Georgia are going to go undefeated into the SEC championship game, two undefeated teams playing each other. But before you answer it, what I was going to say is I think it's also the question that people around college football are asking, because I think if you go nationally, the the big question is between Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, will any of those three lose before late November? Because to me, the season hasn't really started, or I should say nothing has really happened of significance in the season until one of those three teams loses. And I think for a lot of people, they have a hard time seeing any of them lose until maybe at the earliest Ohio State playing Michigan, which which is in Columbus. But anyway, as it affects the SEC, what are your thoughts right now? If you had to guess or, or go one way, one side or the other, will Alabama and Georgia both be undefeated going into the SEC championship game? I'm going to go with no. And uh, I think Alabama at some point is going to get beat. I think Tennessee, you know, has the best chance of doing it. Maybe Ole Miss, but Georgia, for the most part, they don't, I mean, they play Tennessee late. I just don't think Tennessee, you know, has a complete game in order to beat them. Now, if Georgia goes out, you know, has a bunch of mistakes and just plays terrible football, I think Tennessee has a chance, but I think Alabama is the, the only one that I think could lose a game. Which would make it like last year. If Alabama loses once, they could go into the SEC championship game with one loss, Georgia undefeated. 
And, uh, you know, and last year Alabama won that game and we ended up with two teams from the SEC in the playoff, which which could happen again. So um, we'll uh, we'll keep asking that question, like I said, and we'll, we'll see how you feel as, as the season goes on and we see more of Alabama and more of Georgia. But uh, for now, that's going to do it for us, for our conversation about the games of week three in the SEC. Tyler, thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for staying up late. We had a, we had a late night because of the uh, the nine o'clock Eastern kickoff for for Texas A and M. Um, but uh, but uh, you you did it, and I appreciate you uh, being here with me. And uh, for all of you out there, we appreciate you listening. Uh, if if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please subscribe and then also give us a rating. And uh, if you uh, did enjoy it, we also look forward to uh, you hearing more of us. We will be uh, back with more on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. And then, as always, you'll be able to hear Tyler and myself break down the games each Sunday. So thanks again for listening to Fourth and Manning. Twenty four hundred sports is an Odyssey company. 